Hello again, as you may or may not know, I am Eli the Computer Guy and INE has invited me down here to their Durham, North Carolina office to uh, interview real technology networking professionals. Today I'm here with Anthony Langer, who's a network engineer for the MPLS Core at Verizon. Thank you for being here today. You're welcome, Eli. So, okay, so you're a network engineer for the MPLS Core at Verizon. What does that actually mean? What do you do in life? Well, uh, MPLS is kind of the, I guess, next generation from Frame Relay and Layer 2 technologies. Uh, it's, you would call it at a high level, uh, Layer 3 routing at Layer 2 speeds. Okay. It, it, it uh, sends packets by labels, label lookup, as opposed to looking at the whole IP header. Okay. Saves a lot of time, you know, a few nanoseconds here and there along the way is, it really helps a lot. Uh, the network I'm working on right now, and I think one of the reasons I've been there so long is because uh, I started it with eight nodes uh, in the U.S., yeah. and we've uh, expanded to 65 countries. Really? Wow. So it's wow. kind of like, I don't know, it's been like a child or, or a, you know, something I've grown up with. Yeah. So then, like, what, do, what, is your, what does your day-to-day -day work look like then? What do you do on a day? Uh, it all depends. Uh, we do a fair amount of proactive work and we do reactive work. So it's a break-fix environment, but we try to constantly try to figure out ways how to do things better right. and try to uh, assimilate more work uh, where it makes sense. Okay. So it's, uh, it's hard to explain that in just terms of networking. Mm. So let me just shift gears for a second because I think that for most places, uh, ne the network is a cost center, and the, really the only time people care about it is when it doesn't work. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it you want to be cost effective and you want to keep it up as long as you can. Yeah. So the key is to do it as cost effectively as you can and to give the most uh, end user satisfaction of using the network. So I kind of look at it like, it's a comp constant optimization of uh, basic skill sets and teamwork and processes mm -hmm. that allow you to do things, uh, it's probably bad to say this, but with less humans and more, uh, <laughs> uh, more automation. Uh, people are the most expensive part of the network. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very, very important. The human capital is very important, but the humans that are there, I guess, it's more like an intelligence economy where you figure out how to, uh, like how can a group of people manage 65 countries at once? Yeah, yeah. How many people do you need for that? And I think things have changed a lot in the industry. Uh, if I were to like look at my crystal ball towards the next way which is hitting us, yeah. the whole centralized control plane, similar to what they're doing in the uh, data centers with OpenStack and that's going to even more add a lot more intelligence okay. to what's going on, and it's. I think, I guess AI is seeping into every part of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, it's you know seeping into network management too. Oh, okay, interesting. So, with all your your work and the stuff that you get, is that is that trouble tickets somebody submits, or do you guys just you've got your eyes on the system and you know when something goes wrong? I think it's a combination of things. Yeah. Uh, we have. Uh, we do a lot of proactive things. We do uh, 
there's a lot of monitoring that goes on. Yeah. So if I look out throughout my career, I've worked at different places in networking, and uh, it's, it was very manual, or you'd just be staring at a board and trying <laughs> to figure out, and now there's a lot of correlation and uh, trying to make sense of something. Yeah. So let's say, for example, if there is a, uh, a fiber optic green that goes down, you know, X number of things will be impacted by that. Yeah. So rather than have uh, 500 tickets, you may just need three and reference them. So hmm. there's a way of doing things smarter okay. without as much uh, noise, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And then it says, so you created a problem description template. Like, what does that yeah. actually mean then? Well, when you leave the U.S. and you try to discuss things with other countries, yeah. Philippines, Japan, uh, India, uh, China, um, everyone's kind of got their own way of saying things. Okay. And I found out that the, uh, the most, well, at my level, yeah. the most important thing that I can do is understand the problem. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Uh, a group may say, my network is down. My whole entire network is down. And then, uh, I'll say, okay, so how do you know it's down? Yeah. Well, my whole... Uh, alarming system is all red. Hmm. Okay, so then you say, well, okay, um, can you ping your alarming system? No. Okay, so that's changed from the whole network's down to hmm. the circuit going to the alarming system is down. Yeah, okay. So there's a, that's just one example, but uh, understanding what the problem is. Yeah. And it's such a large network too, it's, it's key to understand and Sometimes uh, that can take the most time just describing the problem. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So then you started like way back when, right? So you got you started your degree in 1980 um, at University of Arizona. So a lot of people don't realize. A lot of younger people don't realize. Like the world of computers was a lot different in 1980, and. Like a lot of people ask me, like, "Oh, did you play with computers when you were a kid?" And I was like, "Dude, we had two eighty sixes. they were boring to me. They were boring as snot back then." So, like for you in nineteen eighty, why? What was the impetus to go into systems engineering? Because it was so, you know. Yeah. Well, I went to University University of Arizona in Tucson, and that was actually the first uh, systems engineering program ever in the U.S. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, and. Uh, kind of think of it like uh, a cotyledon theory. So let's say I can, um, you have uh, different uh, engineering disciplines that are needed. Yeah. So you want to, uh, let's say you want to build a automated uh, water delivery system. Yeah. You'd have uh, certain mechanical engineering, you'd have fluid dynamics, you would have uh, uh, maybe some electrical engineering, and then you would maybe there'd be some uh, architecture or ge uh, ge uh, law, uh, geology engineers. Sorry, mm -hmm. all these things come together, and you figure out the best way to build a system. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is also to um, optimization of things. I spent six months in a bank uh, uh, inside of a bank. Uh, designing a queuing system, huh, okay. which is fairly, fairly, you know, we don't do that much banking, but you'll notice that most banks have a single long line as opposed to a bunch of separate lines. 
that was unknown at the time, but we figured that out because yeah. there was like 20,000 students at the University of Arizona, so there'd be a lot of queuing issues at some of the banks. Hmm. So we helped with that. That's one of the things, for example. Um, another thing that we did kind of interesting was uh, they were working with uh, fighter pilots where they would look at how they reacted and how they got to the point where they could no, no longer stabilize because they were they were creating an unstable situation by going back and forth, mm. trying to correct. Uh, we would just look at a lot of things. Yeah. But I think the most important thing is they did what we call cotyledon theory. And the, the most simple thing is this, is that uh, w let's say that uh, one side of the cotyledon is we need to provide a network for 25 users. Yeah. The other side of the network is, uh, the other side of the equation is we have uh, a two meg circuit coming in. Yeah. So then you you have to find the, the point in the middle where everything works, where all the users can, and what's the bandwidth and how can we do this and how can we count. So you're dealing with multiple uh, degrees of freedom yeah. and you come up with an optimal design yeah. based upon that. So that can be used a lot of ways. It can be used in financial engineering decisions and um, it's fairly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I took double E, I took uh, statics and dynamics, mechanical engineering. Mm. I programmed Fortran with punch cards <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's in yeah, the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got our terminals halfway through my college career. We actually typed in terminals, but prior to that we'd type them up yeah. and drop them off and it'd be a deck PDP-11 or whatever and it'd shoot, <laughs> the paper would come out, we'd see our output. Yeah. So were you, like back then, were you interested in computers or engineering? Like were you trying to be an engineer that happened to do it with computers or did, was computers your focus? Well, I was interested in, in uh, integrated circuits and silicon at the okay. time. Yeah. So I, I started looking to that a lot. They were making, uh, they had a real good double E uh, lab there where they were actually building circuits there. Yeah. So. Um, when I graduated, I went to work for Advanced Micro Devices. So, oh. mm -hmm. back in the day when things were kind of booming, uh, IBM had just opened their uh, architecture, their AT bus, and yeah. things were just going very well. Uh, the year that I started with Advanced Micro Devices, they had a party at Moscone Center. This, this was out in California. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Sanders came down in a sled in Marconi Center. They had the band <laughs> Chicago playing. Uh, it was boom town, right? I kind of caught the end of the boom era in yeah. Silicon Valley, but hmm. it was boom town. Uh, there were often times where you would go into a bar or whatever after work on a Friday, yeah. and managers would be handing out hundred dollar bills. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was crazy successful. Yeah, uh, did, did you find that kind of environment, was that actually motivational? Was that, was that something that actually motivated you or was it everybody's just kind of doing it and so you go along with it? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because um, I left Advanced Micro Devices and went to work for AT&T. Yeah. Uh, at that time it was called AT&T Microelectronics. So the, the divestor came 84, 85 when, the, when all the Bell companies broke up. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, when I went to work for AT&T, they said that uh, a lot of the regional Bell operating companies were not using the AT&T factories, and there are a lot of people that were going to get laid off. Mm -hmm. So that gave me a lot of motivation to sell 
capacity on the factory. Because mm. I, was, I was kind of a sales engineer, technical. Uh, so I found I was a lot more motivated by that than I was uh, BMWs and you know yeah. six-figure salaries at the time. But mm. I much more enjoyed my stint. I stayed at, uh, I stayed at Advanced Micro Devices for one year. Okay, yeah. And then I uh, worked for AT&T for uh, seven. Okay. And then, but when you were in school, it says you started a passive solar company with a professor? How did that work out? Yes, you know, you gotta think about it. Arizona gets so much sun, yeah. and they weren't using it. And uh, I had a professor, uh, his name was Dr. Schultz. He said, everyone should get a master's degree and start their own company. <laughs> okay. And uh, he was very driven, very creative. So we started that, and we started just putting, um, like a water tank on the roof, encapsulated, and it would, uh, it would feed their washer and dryer and their hot water needs. Yeah, yeah. And th now it's just getting to the point where I think people are starting to use solar more. It probably wasn't cost effective back then, but no one was using it there, and it was, it was the sunshine was like maybe over 300 days a year there. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that kind of interesting, but I didn't go get any further into it. But I really enjoyed. I would just basically go door to door, and I, I we designed it, and then mm -hmm. I went door to door, and um, we didn't sell a lot, but I we sold enough that I didn't have to work another part time job. I was working in a restaurant. I left that job and became a solar hot water hot water guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did that conversation start, though? Did the professor come to you? Did you go to the professor? He he opened it up and said, "I want, I want to start a solar company." He said. It's insane that we're not using solar here. Okay, so yeah. I stood up and volunteered. Uh, two other people did over the course of a couple of years. So yeah, huh. well, that's cool. So then you go and so so you get your your degree though, and it's in systems engineering. And you spend a year with AMD. Um, so is there any reason you only spent a year with AMD? Because back then AMD was still yeah, a big, it was very good. Yeah, I think the whole AT&T thing, the challenge of filling the factories. Yeah, uh, it kind of caught me, and it was. Brand new, they they had. Uh, it was like open territory. Yeah. I I, I called on Sun Microsystems. I met Andy Bechtelsheim, yeah. uh, there the workstation. I I called on uh, Apple Computer. Yeah. Saw that wasn't a very good time for Apple Computer. That was the time <laughs> when they were trying to do the Newton uh, with the with a Coke or Pepsi guy, and uh, I think that Jobs was booted out around then. It was. It was a bad time for Apple, so. Interesting. So then you go there, but you're doing sales. Yeah. So that's kind of curious because you actually get you get your degree in engineering, but like most people, you can either do engineering or sales. So how did you then get into sales, or why did you want to do sales at all? Well, I didn't want to only design chips. Okay. So I, I was kind of probably a lot more technical than sales. Yeah. And then it helped me out a lot with AT and T because. AT&T was very, uh, they had a lot of resources, yeah. and, I, and the more technical I was, the better we seemed to do mm. bringing up a technical solution, because we were coming in new to Silicon Valley, they didn't know who to trust, and I think the deeper you got with them, the more relaxed they got mm. uh, coming in, and um, that worked. Yeah. But I eventually stopped that. I, uh, I moved back to North Carolina, and. Well, my parents had retired and moved to Boone, okay. so I moved back to Raleigh, and yeah. my brother was a pilot then, uh, and he, so I just moved back here. Yeah. I went to, uh, to a networking school, 
yeah. and kind of cross-trained myself. That was uh, 93, 94. So was that, was that just per, so you were in Silicon Valley for AT&T and then you come, so it's kind of curious, like, was that just a personal thing? Was that actually, was it better to professionally to come back here? Have you had issues since you came back to? Well, I think it was a combination of uh, being quite honest. Yeah. I, uh, I lived in Silicon Valley uh, during the week and I had an apartment on the Haight, up in Haight-Ashbury, oh, yeah. San Francisco. I think that probably wasn't the best decision I made. Uh, I'm glad I left. I was glad I was there. I was glad yeah. I left. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at a lot of the bands that started, like the Grateful Dead and the Jefferson Airplane and the Summer of Love, I mean, it all kind of happened there. Yeah, yeah. And it was very exciting. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I have uh, uh, been in a boat uh, going underneath the Golden Gate at different hours of the night with yeah. people, and I'm kind of part of the sales thing, you do kind of things that are, uh, you're motivated from other, a lot of reasons, maybe going out to dinner and having too much uh, wine from the Napa Valley, but I lived that lifestyle. I don't think it was, I think I missed my family and I, hmm. I wanted to start a family. It was that kind of thing. Okay. It was, I really enjoyed San Francisco and I enjoyed, uh, but I think I started and I got married. Uh, I have three children now, so it's, yeah. About four years later, my, my started my family here, and after I moved, so. Wow. Okay. So then you leave AT and T, and so you come back here, and you start doing the contract network engineering yeah. at the IBM PC factory, and you start learning. So you, you returned to networking school, yes. a network specialist. So what was the decision there? Because you're an engineer, so I'm kind of surprised you didn't focus on chips or focus on something yeah. a little, eh, not higher. I hate to say higher level than networking, but you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what got you into networking then? Well, I think it was more or less like uh, sucked in by the, uh, the vortex of what was <laughs> happening in the mid 90s with the, with the internet. Huh, okay. I mean, things were just exploding. Uh, it was an explosion in terms of internet and yeah. T1s and it were, were, well, first off, everyone had like two phone lines, um, and then started going to DSL. And but the whole internet and WAN started taking off. If you look at this area, at one point in time, you had Cisco, Nortel, um, AT&T Solutions, uh, MCI, four large companies all hiring WAN engineers, hmm. and that boom took off. So that was a, and it seemed to me to be interesting to me and uh, it was easy to find work with my limited skill set so yeah, okay. I jumped on the wagon and I yeah. I never got off uh, I don't <laughs> I know hindsight's 2020 but I'm I'm fairly happy with it but it was more or less like what was happening then yeah. I was in school and even six or nine months in the school I started getting temp work and because <laughs> there was such a demand oh, okay. So I see that that you didn't go on for your master's degree or anything no. like that. Is there, was there a specific reason or just? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that uh, being in Silicon Valley, being around all those companies was very exciting. And yeah. uh, I worked a lot. Uh, I didn't go to school. I would say I worked hard and played hard. Yeah, yeah. But uh, as a sales guy, you're kind of doing it 24-7. Yeah. You're working hard and then you're playing hard with your customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if, if you're not, someone else is. And, Interesting. So, okay, so you do that for like three years, and then you actually go back to AT&T. Yeah. Was there any particular reason? Or? Well, it was AT&T Solutions, so uh -huh. they just brought up a new center, and they were, uh, I was at IBM PC Factory, and yeah. they brought up a new center, 
and they were hiring. I interviewed on a Thursday. I was hired on a Monday. Really? <laughs> was there anything in particular? Did you just have the credentials they needed? Yeah. I, well, they looked for college degree and network experiences. They were dividing up their workforce. You had to wear a tie to work. You had to have a college degree. I don't know exactly what that was going on there, but yeah. I fit a lot of the things. Plus, I had seven years on the West Coast in a different division, so I got in the door. I had some good references. So, so how does that work with you? Because we've done a lot of interviews, and a lot of these people are bouncing. Like they'll, they'll have like 10, 10, 10 jobs where they barely even lasted a year. But you, I mean, you're seven years, three years, two years, 16 years. So how does that hiring process work for you then? Because obviously you're not jumping very much. So when do you decide to put out your resume? When do you decide to interview? What's, what's the thought process? That's a good point. I, I think you always have to have a plan B. Yeah. And if you don't, uh, you're kind of vulnerable. But at the same time, if you work on your plan B and uh, do like the cubby sharpen the saw, yeah. you're better at your job. Okay. Yeah. So. I wanted to, I think I'm more of an, a more emotionally driven person where, um, how can I explain this? So with AT&T, I was more motivated to keep the people in, in the factories. Okay. And I was very excited about that. And I, I hit my sales targets and it was a positive thing. With the whole Verizon, um, to me, it was more like holding our ground and showing, because originally my company was MCI, okay, and I had I had an amazing boss at MCI. He was he was just simply amazing. Uh, he was very motivating, and he yeah. was uh, continuously improving. And I was syncing with that. Everything was going well. We we were growing like three hundred percent a year, yeah. and then uh, let me shift gears again. So I was with MCI, and then. WorldCom bought us. Yeah. We went through the WorldCom bankruptcy, which was like the biggest bankruptcy in history. Yeah. So I'm around all these people who are about to lose their jobs with their children. And I said, you know, we're going to hold the line. And I said, well, I'll go down with the ship. Huh. And um, so I did that around 2003, 2004. Yeah. And that momentum carried me a long way. And then Verizon bought us. So I've been in the same building for 18 years, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. but different companies or and when we were took over, I felt like, I don't know, I felt probably more obligated to the network we had built to make it succeed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to me, the network's kind of like a, a living entity. It's kind of strange, but <laughs> maybe like someone has a car that they have and yeah. they fix it and they know all about it. And to me, that was a network. It was, I lived and breathed it. And uh, I'll give you an example. Um, when we were in bankruptcy, yeah and we were waiting to be bought. There's a lot of people looking at us, wanting to buy us and to uh, chop us up, sell us like Quest or, or whoever, mm -hmm. you know. And um, <clears throat> we had a, a very large layer two frame network in South America. So we got some routers and, and all the major, like Columbia, uh, Rio, all the major uh, cities in South America, we stuck a MPLS router on the front of the frame switch. Yeah, and then we broadcast that we were growing in South America. Oh. So I worked like seven days a week doing my normal job, plus on the weekend coming in, installing this new network for the, uh, granted we were offering new services, but 
it wasn't really costing that much and to ship it down there and all my overtime was free. Yeah. So you get kind of attached to it, like you kept it alive a little <laughs> bit and uh, I think that's motivated me. Um, yeah. Plus, you know, Verizon is a great company. It's, they treat people very well, their benefits are good. It's mm. that you share it, you know, when the company does well, you do well. Yeah. So it, I think they're a great company. I think that's why they're doing well now. Uh, they treat their people well, they have a good vision, it's a good work environment. So I'm, I'm happy, so. <laughs> that works. So I guess that's an interesting thought then. So, so you've been doing the same job, or you've been doing, but, but the company you, you were in and got acquired. Yep. So is there any lessons learned? Do you keep your head down? Do you put your head up? Is there some way that you've learned to not get laid off, essentially? <laughs> well. I'm not sure if it's a Head and Shoulders or Prell commercial, yeah. but you you don't have a second chance or a first impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think first impressions are key. Okay. So, uh, but that goes kind of back to uh, sharpening the saw and a plan B. Yeah. Because I have consistently been studying for a cert. I haven't got my CCIE, uh, but I've gotten the Juniper and Cisco mid levels. Okay. And I constantly keep refreshing them. It's it works for my level, and. Uh, I'm either doing that or I'm working on ways to uh, do things better. Like they sent me to a, a Kempner Trago, a KT class. Okay. They, this was a uh, developed in the 50s by uh, some Air Force people. Yeah. Uh, when they were working on, I'm not sure exactly what they were doing, but they came up with this methodology, how to solve problems. Okay. Yeah. That's where I developed the, uh, the, the whole uh, template for asking how to define the problem. Yeah, okay. I spent several years on that and did a smart experiment and we were, uh, that's how we could scale. So you, you've got like 20 people yeah. and you're working on eight cities and then, then you have 16 people working 65 countries. How does that happen? Yeah. It happens with a lot of things, uh, automation and uh, correlation, but also too, human-human communication. So we, we would bring up Knox and they would start sending us stuff that then we would send in the template. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we'd have an, uh, something we could work with. Okay. So I, I was kind of spending time, spent a lot of time optimizing and, and scaling yeah. how it does. That, that would kind of click back to my system engineering. Yeah. So I think that's why I enjoyed it more. If it was just raw networking, uh, to me it's a hybrid. I'm using my college skills now, so. So that's, I mean, being there for 16 plus years, do you worry or you've, have you run into issues then with like stagnating? Like, are you still progressing in your career? Or in the, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, I think that you really kind of, uh, how can I explain it? Let's say, let's use the analogy of sports. Yeah. If all you do is play basketball all the time and then you go to play tennis, well, you're not gonna be that good. I mean, you may be in good running shape, yeah. but you're not a good tennis player. And most people want, when you interview, they want you to be a good tennis player, you know, walk out there and play tennis tomorrow <laughs> yeah. perfectly. Uh -huh. So that's a risk that I take. And I think, um, if, I, if I had got pushed, pushed it all the way to get my CCIE, yeah. uh, I probably would have been in a little better shape, but about, uh, let me try to think, 
about seven or eight years ago, uh, I learned that the uh, United States per capita has the highest rate of people incarcerated. Okay. So I just decided to step back in my career and I became a Bible minister for inmates for seven years. I would, you know, I wouldn't go in the in the in the institutions, but I would do a Bible study with them. Okay. So yeah. I think, you know, I don't know how much success I had. I know some people came out, but I just felt like something had to be done. I had to help a little bit. Uh, I gave back. Yeah. So now I'm kind of clicking through, and also uh, my children. I spent, I don't know, nine years. Uh, every week in inside the school systems but it's all starting to pay off for me now because I'm I am uh, I'm just clicking back now into studying more yeah, yeah. and uh, my oldest daughter is 14 mm. she's going into the stem program at NC, NC State uh, it's called a um, early college okay yeah. so I gave back for a long time yeah okay. so now I'm popping out again and call it karma grace whatever you want to call it yeah um, I'm ready to make, you know, start moving a little bit more. It may be inside or outside the company, but right now uh, I still have more to do where I am right now to uh, make it a very successful, you know, it's kind of like for a long time. I think we're mm -hmm. starting to turn the tide in terms of how well we are looked at inside Verizon, hmm. okay. our, our group here in Cary. And, yeah. uh, I think we're getting a good reputation, and I've held the line for so long, yeah. but at the same time now you have to start carving out cycles. Yeah. It really is a kind of a, uh, a time management yeah. and a discipline, yeah. and how you do that, you have to dedicate it. And I, I often tell people, your whole family has to be involved. Hmm. You, your wife has to be able to drive them on the weekend or whatever. Yeah. Your whole carpooling may change a little bit, or you're going to, uh, you know, you're not going to be at home. You're going to go to the library or to a lab. Yeah. You have to, you have to do it with your family. And uh, I, th I almost started a class at Kaplan, uh, but I stopped because I realized that I still had some more things to do. Yeah. And um, my oldest daughter's learning how to drive. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm concerned about that. So, but I know that, uh, you know, I use LinkedIn a fair amount, yeah. and I do know some people inside industry like. I have phone conversations with different people, like some people at Juniper I talk to, because yeah. I think there is going to be, so up until now, it's, it's been kind of like pushing packets. Yeah. And then some packets are higher priority, like video and voice, and other packets are like web or email. But I think things are going to change a lot. And I, um, I recently joined ISA, the uh, Security Association. Yeah. And I have I started working on this concept, where uh, there's a a place in Germany called the uh, the Tottenberg Forest, hmm. where in 9 A.D. the Romans were uh, ambushed there. Okay. Hmm. And uh, so I started talking this concept, where bringing the whole WAN, which I've been doing for like forever, yeah. into the whole concept of uh, security, where by using analytics, if you could target flows of traffic and then direct them down to what I call the Tottenberg Forest, where if it went, if you directed this traffic down this certain path, you would go much deeper into it. Okay. And 
it would be suspect traffic, and then you could also use uh, just randomly pull flows out and put them in there, yeah. like like the source destination flows. So uh, I'm being a little random here, but with all my WAN experience, yeah. I'm starting to bridge that into security ideas, hmm. and uh, starting to you know going to these events and just talking to people about my ideas, like how can I leverage 17 years on probably like a top second largest network in the world. Yeah. How do I do, how do I bring that into and I think for me probably security is good uh, or some type of optimization but I'm kind of more bent towards security because to me it's kind of uh, I don't know I think I get a sense of satisfaction there. Yeah. Cool. So if you did, if you went into more security a lot of people worry about certifications and all that kind of stuff. Would you worry about that, or would you just are you at the level you can just start doing that work? And no, I don't, I don't think I'm at the level. I yeah. think, well, I guess the first thing is I'm not in a hurry. Okay. Um, I like my job. I like what I'm doing, and like I'm in contact with directors in security in my company. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking about the bridge, because how can I leverage 17 years of this and then that? You're right, because yeah. most people that jump, jump, jump they're getting very good skill sets and they know how to do certain things you know, well enough to put on the resume they can jump right in and do it. Whereas, for example, I couldn't um, set up a firewall or you know, I wouldn't know the commands to do that right now. I can mm -hmm. jump in and do it, yeah. but I understand what they're trying to do. Uh, but so I think I'm lukewarm to cold on a lot of technologies other than WAN and MPLS, okay. but I understand the theory behind it. Yeah. Uh, in a way, it's all packets, right? You have an IP header and you have, a, whether it's TCP or UDP or whatever, I mean, it's, we're all pushing the same things or looking at it differently, yeah. but there's higher level analytics and there's different layers of the, of the OSI model people are looking at, but I think I'm strong, but like I said, I've been playing basketball for 17 years. Yeah. And how am I going to leverage that into a tennis game? <laughs> I think it can be done. Okay. So, um, so with your, with your doing your, your, your volunteer work with the inmates, and then you're also with the Garden for Wildlife program. Yeah. Is that just a personal thing? It's on your resume here. Yeah. I mean, do you, find, do you think that's a valuable thing professionally? Or was that just for your soul kind of deal? You know, I think I'm just giving... Uh, more, I would say more for my soul. Yeah. It may, uh, it's a reflection in how I do my job. Yeah. Sometimes I ask myself why didn't I just push and get the higher level certs? Why didn't I take this little bend in the road? Yeah. Um, so for the uh, for the wildlife thing, if you if you go around here and look, and I'm my brother's a builder, and I'm extremely happy that new houses are going up because yeah. it's. It, I'm glad people are moving here. It's a good place, but if you kind of look at what it does to the land, yeah. it really kind of upsets it. So what I'm what I'm working on with people is with the town of Cary is, you can set up your lawn yeah. for migratory species. Let's yeah. just say butterflies, right? Yeah, yeah. Most butterflies will drown in a bird bath. People don't understand that you gotta yeah. you gotta put little rocks and just keep the water at a certain point, yeah. and the butterflies will start migrating through your lawn. Uh, and not just drowning your bird bath. So yeah. the little things like that, uh, it doesn't really mean that much, but I'm doing it with my daughter. So yeah. uh, I, I think everyone should try to give back a little bit. Yeah. I think that uh, 
time, it's not all about money and it's about time and what you do. So I think hopefully in the end it'll be the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I felt compelled. I was kind of in a state of shock when I heard that, when I heard that we have the most people in prison per, per capita than any country in the world. Yeah. I'm like, well, what's going on here? Um, so I'm not going to get religious or anything. All I'm going to say is that that's yeah. a lot of, that's a lot of dirt under the uh, rug, you know. I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems to be a little more dirt under the rug than you would think, yeah. and because that's sustainable over time, because it's a lot of money for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and uh, you know, but that's just one man, and I hopefully I will uh, have enough energy to go on another ten or fifteen years. <laughs> you know, I, I am kind of older. I'm in my fifties, yeah. and uh, I hope I got another ten or fifteen left, and I'm going to start surging on. Uh, you know what's what's the next thing? But t- fortunately, technology is changing a lot. Yeah. The whole the whole concept of routing and control plane and forwarding plane, it's just everything is changing now. So I'm I see another wave coming out in the ocean. I'm going to grab my surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. So I guess that's one thing. So I mean, obviously, we don't know exactly your age. But you went to college in 1980, so it's been a while. Okay, let's put it this way. Uh, <laughs> Sammy Hagar said, uh, did a song. He said he couldn't drive that speed limit. <laughs> there we go. So, and you're pretty. You're still pretty hands-on. Um, have you found any issues with? You know, we talk about ageism in the tech world, especially in the startup world. You obviously are in a far more corporate environment. Are there any issues you run into? Um, has does that come up as a problem? I definitely think so. Uh, I think. You have to really stand out and have a lot of knowledge. You can't, well, I'll, to be quite honest, half the people I work with, I was old as their parents. <laughs> I mean, they're just out of school. Yeah. And uh, it takes some humility, but I'm there for a different reason. I'm there for the, the success of the organization. I'm there to keep jobs and carry. Yeah. One of the things that I told myself was, there's gonna be a job here for my daughter if she wants it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she probably doesn't want it, but anyway, it was one of the things I said, I'm not gonna let this go. Yeah. So I, I kind of work for a higher level and it's maybe kind of like Don Quixote a little yeah. bit, uh, chasing windmills, but the jobs are still there now and they're hiring. They're, so I'm happy about that. Yeah. But yeah, I put myself in a vulnerable situation. But the good news is my wife works at Fidelity. Uh, she's doing well, okay. so we have a diversified portfolio. Yeah. She went back to grad school and got her, uh, then got certs for like uh, a certified financial planner, series uh, six, wait, series seven, whatever those series are, she can move up. So it's going to be, I kind of diversified my portfolio knowing that I couldn't stay in the same job for a decade without having a diversified portfolio. Yeah. Because uh, you can't do that. So fortunately, marriages can be very positive in that way. Because, you know, if we're kind of scaling a rock and if I fall, her rope will catch me. We can shift to her benefits. I can scramble. We can, you know. But if it was just me supporting the whole family, I don't think I would have done it this way. So do you figure, I mean, so the next 10 years, will you stay relatively hands-on or are you going to try to transition to management? Uh... No, I think that uh, this may sound a little uh, naive, but yeah. I want to do something significant. Okay. Yeah. I want to take everything I've learned and who, who I am 
I want to create something. I, I played a lot of music, uh, fairly creative, I'm fairly creative, and I, I want to create something. I, don't, I guess you could call it wanting to be an inventor, But my my children are 10, 12, and 14, so I've got that. Uh, I've got three girls going through college, and so I'm going to try to figure that out, but hopefully it'll all come together. Uh, But I I would like to invent something like this Tottenberg Forest thing. It's kind of a naive concept or whatever, but it seems to me that the WAN environment, we know where the packets are. We know the packets are coming into the U.S., Mm-hmm. I can. I know where all the cable systems are. I know all the beach ha- uh, that you know where they're happening. And uh, to me, the whole internet and the whole globe is kind of like Switzerland in mm-hmm. World War II, because okay. everyone knew the money was there yeah. and nobody messed with it, right? <laughs> so everyone knows where everything is, but they're all everyone's using the internet, so they're not really messing with it. All right. But all that said, we know where that we know where they're coming in. We know mm-hmm. where the packets are coming in. So that's like. If you know where your enemy's coming in, yeah. why, uh, why, okay, so obviously the firewall didn't really work. Yeah. So, and um, I'm not saying the firewalls are, are unnecessary. I don't really know enough either way, but some of the larger hacks and what's going on, people are getting through. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the technology is 30 years old, 20, 30 years old. So obviously people are gonna hack it, right? Yeah. Um, and then a lot of the technologies are, uh, kind of uh, done by groups of people, uh, you know, like Linux or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that we're just not quite getting it. I, to be quite honest, I think it's more of a uh, monetary issue why things aren't more secure. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because that always comes into play, like yeah. like the cotyledon, right? You want security, but you're uh, you're going to leave it plugged in. Yeah. You're not going to go bankrupt doing security, right? So <laughs> we have the fine lines, but so now, uh, so my concept of leveraging the WAN, no, we know where they're coming. Yeah. Like they knew the, where the Romans were marching, yeah. and they picked their place, and they boom, they did it. it that changed the world in, in 9 AD. Yeah. So I think the WAN's like, oh, you're pipe guys. Well, yeah, but your uh, your folks that are hacking you are coming in on the pipes. Yeah. So I, I want to keep reiterating that, but that could be something significant. Mm-hmm. If I could p- put that together somehow, and I'm working on it. So do you feel, so you know, everybody talks about startup, 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 and the next dog dating site. And so what's interesting is dog dating, who the hell even, if anybody even knows they want that. But things like you're talking about are actually valuable. Whether you can implement it becomes another story. But with so much startup stuff going on in the area, do you feel that there would be any support for you or do you know who you would go to to try to get support if, if you came up with an idea of the, an actual product? To put well, that's a very good idea, that's a very good point. Yeah. So what I, what, what I do is I'm a member of ISA, I'm a member yeah. of IEEE Carolinas. Yep. So I, start, I stay in tune with those two major groups yeah. and inside those just you know, you sit down, like we always have a dinner before at ISA. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on who you sit down next to, you talk to. So there's a lot of networking going on there. Yes, it would be a nice thing uh, to do that. But at the same time, uh, I don't really, I haven't really thought about that too deeply because I probably, 
let's say, for example, my middle daughter, two sets of braces and eight teeth pulled. I'm kind of like there right now. Oh, I'm not like in the high risk mode. Yeah, okay. But yeah, she's yeah. beautiful and she's going to look great. And uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll get a, a, a rich husband out of that. But anyway. <laughs> but, but anyway, I would love to do that at the right time. I think yeah. once my two oldest girls start driving, yeah. then I, because they're very good people and we'll, we'll be able to, it's a matter of cycles to get, you know, and time to get into that. Hopefully, I haven't missed the whole wave with the centralized, uh, uh, with all of the uh, the centralized control plane where everything is going going back to like the open stack where that's controlling everything. Uh, that's so new and so powerful. I hope I don't miss that wave. But I just I got got to chill for a while yeah. until uh, until my first two daughters in college. And that's going to happen pretty soon because they're going to early college. No. So they'll be, uh, thank God for that, they're going to be, uh, um, I, I don't have all the acronyms and buzz terms right now. I just, yeah. I've worked since six in the morning, so I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> no uh, my, uh, my memory's uh, kind of fragmented right now. I need to defrag it. <laughs> so that's curious. What is early college? Okay, early college is a five-year program where yeah. you go to, you get your high school diploma and you get two years associate's degree. Huh. Right. And uh, my Oldest daughter is going in the STEM program at, UNC, at NC State, yeah. so science and tech, science, technology, engineering, math. Yeah. So she'll have two years of NC State and a high school diploma in five years. Hmm. And then she and go. How old is she when she goes into that? Uh, she's yeah. 14, so she already did her first year at uh, at the School of Sciences, early colleges. But she said, "I don't really want to be a doctor. I would rather be a, a, a you know." A computer type person. Yeah, cool. So, is that just a North Carolina thing? I haven't heard of that before. You know, I think early. I don't know, but um, it's a great thing for the state. She, uh, fortunately, she has her mother's brains. I'll look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, she did very well on her end of grade test. No, so they screen them. I think. Uh, one thing I find kind of startling with you know how well uh, Research Triangle Park is done around here yeah. and all the universities, and I think. Uh, the educational system is churning out people that are good workers locally that they, they're, they're plucking them out of middle school. <laughs> really? Yeah, wow. you're showing like you could be a good technical worker or you, or you could be, um, I think it's either in bio or, uh, or, or, in, or in the, uh, you know, internet, uh, new technology wave. Yeah. Uh, huh. It's amazing what they're doing here. They're... Yeah. The whole concept, I guess we know when they when they realized that tobacco was going away and they, they started putting these systems in place, it's worked. That's cool. So now with your with your idea with the forest and all that, especially since you work at Verizon, do you worry that they theoretically actually own your idea? Like or, or how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, so what I did was um, I sent an email to the uh, internal person at a pretty high level and Security said, um, I'm going to these ISA meetings and I'm discussing this concept. Okay. Yeah. So I don't really care who gets it. And I, I hate to be so naive and so <laughs> giving, but yeah. as long as we can start dealing with this kind of thing, because if you look at what's going on with the Apple, uh, with the Apple phone, it's, it's a very difficult decision, question, whatever. Yeah. But uh, didn't all that stuff go flying through the air to yeah. a cell tower? I mean... I mean, it's 
they're worried about the end device, but I look at it, oh gosh. So that went to a cell tower, then it went on fiber optic cables, and then, you know, there's a, to me, there's not just the end device that's involved. So yeah. I keep thinking about that over and over again, but I think it has a lot to do with me being on the, uh, what I'll call the dark side or the whatever, you know, where no one really sees or hears or knows and even understands. <laughs> yeah. So then, you, so your daughter's going through STEM. I yeah. guess one of the final questions would be, so you've been, you, I mean, you're, you're like, I mean, you're a poster child almost for what you don't see anymore. I mean, working a long time at AT&T, IBM, Verizon. I mean, these are big names. Um, nowadays, you hear everybody talking about for weird startup companies that you, you, don't, you literally don't even know how to spell. So like with your daughter coming out, when she turns 19, she has that degree. If you had advice to give her, would you tell her to go startup? Would you tell her to go to something like Verizon? Follow her passion? I would, I would, tell, her, I would tell her to go to startup. Yeah. And I would tell her like any good relationship, uh, don't be afraid if you're, not, if you're not sinking with the people there since you're young to move. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's such power... There's such human power. I mean, it really is human power. Yeah. If you look at Jobs, right? First he had Wozniak, and he came up with the ideas. Then he had um, who's the guy? Who's the other guy uh, that designed the iPhone, the iPad? Oh gosh. Oh, uh, Ives. Yeah, Ives. Yeah. Johnny yeah. Ives. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's human power between a visionary and a, you know, that human power is what caused everything to happen. Yeah. So. If she can sync up with other humans that she can create that power with, then she's going to really enjoy her life and she's going to really do great things. Hmm. So I would say go for a smaller company first. Yeah. What happens with with corporations is that, I guess I'm guilty of it too, is that you're trying to build your lifestyle around it. Hmm. You've got four weeks off and you've got great benefits and uh, you you bought more house than you can pay for and <laughs> and th there you are. Yeah, okay. But, it start when you're younger like that. Uh, to me, it would be a dream. Like if I, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm happy with what I've done. So yeah, okay. And I guess like the final question I'll have for you today, especially since you know you're doing all this stuff with Verizon. So what are your feelings then in the modern world with the whole idea of network neutrality? As an actual networking guy that deals with this kind of stuff, yay, nay, eh, okay. Well, I've got. A, I go to this, uh, there's a place that has a, uh, close to our house, there's a food line there and there is a, uh, a garage and there's an ABC store. Yeah. I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> okay, anyway. I don't really go there, I go to the food line. But uh, anyway, uh, there's an ABC store and there's a, uh, like an auto parts store and um, there is an uh, uh, auto repair store. Yeah. And it's all paved. So by the auto repair store, there's a dumpster there, and um, I noticed that in front of the dumpster, the pavement was like totally scrunched in down to like where the soil was kind of like gurgling out, mm -hmm. where the big truck would come and lift it up. I don't know what they're throwing in there, but it was real heavy. Yeah. That's gurgling up. So that company, that waste disposal company, yeah. is coming in and using that parking lot and then going away. Yeah. So then I drive in there with my, uh, my four-door Hyundai Elantra, kind of light, yeah. okay, and then doesn't really do that much, but everybody's equal. 
because none of us pay for that parking lot yeah. for the thing. But that uh, waste disposal company really makes pretty big impression on that, and uh, somehow, somehow, um, uh, let's see, who's that guy? Was it Lenin, the communist? Somehow, when it comes to using that resource, we're socialist communists, where everybody's equal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I find that kind of interesting, especially when you know you look at bandwidth. I think it's because that people don't understand what they can't see. Yeah. Now, granted, everyone's paying for their hookup. Yeah. And but but at the same time, um, I really feel like uh, Google and Facebook, they've really, they're, they're making a lot of money and they're doing very well. And they're starting to put an infrastructure like Google is. Yeah. And that, that's very good. But how they got there and how much bandwidth they used to get there, I just don't think people understood because basically Google or, uh, is making a ton of profit yeah. and they're just continually laying off the people who are putting, doing the infrastructure because there's no money in it for us. Hmm. So when, it was declared a utility. We lost a third of our headcount. Boom, just like that. No, hmm. no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, everybody was chopping because they couldn't make a business plan anymore for growth. Hmm. But you look at um, the routers and the fiber and the dis uh, dispatching people to fix fiber, and um, you have undersea cables that you know, it takes a week for the boat to get there, and then all these pretty intense expenses. Yeah. Um, I just don't think they understood it. So in my mind, when I go to, to go to the ABC, I mean, go to Food Line, yeah. and I see those, those huge big imprints by that thing, I'm like, hey man, this guy's really using this parking lot. It's causing two huge big bumps in the road, but he doesn't, he doesn't get charged for that. Yeah. And, and everyone else, all the people that, all the stores there had to pay for that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what I think Google has done up to this point because now they're putting in stuff. But, yeah. but the thing is, how can you explain to someone oh, that, well, let's see, we have a hundred gigabits lightweight circuit here between New York and Los Angeles. Uh, it, it stops in, uh, let's see, it goes to, North, goes to Ohio, goes to Denver, Sacramento, then down again. Yeah. Uh, you got all these facilities, all these people, you know. You can't explain that to people and they just say, well, yeah, it's like here, I'll turn on my water. I mean, it's not, I mean, in a way it's like that, but yeah. I think it was, well, even here in RTP, if I would have gotten here, if I would have lived out further, if I would have, I took 55 here, which is straight, but if I wanted to really get here quickly, I would have taken the, um, there's a fast expressway, yeah. but I would have paid for it. As soon as I hit that road, they would have charged me on my license plate. Yeah. So it's okay with roads, yeah. but it's not okay with uh, internet traffic. The government decided that I, I don't. I don't understand that. I, I really don't. But I'm okay with it. And if you see a lot of the companies like AT and T and Verizon, they're becoming more content. Yeah. So fine. If that's the game, then they're going to play it. But hmm. and that's what you're saying is Verizon is trying to be more content now. Well, I think they're doing a great job. They have these creative people that are doing things like. There's a Go90 I have on my phone now. Yeah, yeah. Where they have, uh, you can watch shows, at least me with uh, Verizon, if, if you're a Verizon customer mm -hmm. and you use the Go90, it's, uh, you don't get charged for data. 
Huh. Okay. So they have basketball games and, and uh, a lot of good things on there. I think that's yeah. just the start. Right. The uh, a lot of people now coming out of college, or whatever, just buying a phone. Yeah. They don't have a, a TV or whatever, and I think I think there's an amazing future for that. I think in a way it's going to swing back. I think that's why you see Google putting in fiber because they realize it's it's there's going to be a natural balance. But the big carriers, excuse me, took a, a very bad hit. Like there's a tremendous layoffs of everybody hmm. who's just supporting the uh, all the infrastructure that people can't see. I think uh, I'm not going to blame the government for it. I think the government's done a lot of good things. Like without the government, we wouldn't we wouldn't have had integrated circuits or anything like that or the internet. Yeah. So they've done a lot of good things. I'm not going to say they did wrong, but this was one that I guess didn't swing in my favor. <laughs> no. oh. Interesting. So, okay. Pretty good, pretty good. So any final thoughts then for the, the peanut gallery at home? Any, any, any advice that you, that you can give on what you should or shouldn't do with your career? Um, I think that it's hard to be loyal. Um, it's hard to find the right company to be loyal with. Yeah. I think that I'm very fortunate Verizon is good company to be loyal with. I work for AT&T. I work for a lot of big guys that were good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think at the same time, no matter how loyal or whatever you do, you always gotta, you gotta practice the company principles. Yeah. And you, one of them is keeping the, the saw sharp. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you have to keep your certs up. You, you have to be willing. I think that, uh, Covey said a couple things that are very important as I sum things up. He said, Eat like you just had a heart attack, and then w plan your career that your current job has a two-year half-life. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's perfect. Uh, even though I don't do the first one well, I uh, on the two-year half-life thing, that really clicked in my brain. Hmm. You should always, you know, never take anything for granted. Always say, okay, in two years, this is going to change. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think that was very good advice. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you for being here. Okay. That's good talking. So that was Anthony Langer, uh, network engineer, the MPLS core at Verizon. Uh, as always, I enjoyed doing this interview and being able to share it with you guys at home. And I look forward to seeing you at the next one.